Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the National Entrepreneurship Colonist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit, the magazine for Canadian entrepreneurs, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and we'll share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Ladies and gentlemen, entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. During the month of March in celebration of International Women's Day, Startup Canada, startup communities, leading women entrepreneurs, government and industry partners are coming together to celebrate the contributions and achievements of women entrepreneurs to the Canadian economy. This month in the Startup Canada podcast, join us as we chat with women founders and support organizations who are choosing to challenge the status quo to build a more gender-balanced world to accelerate gender parity and unleash the economic potential of women. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Ravina Anand, the co-founder and CEO of Vancouver-based Flick, F-L-I-K. Ravina Anand is a social tech entrepreneur at Flick, the first apprenticeship portal for female-identifying business founders. In a hyper-globalized world, Ravina aims to advance women's economic participation and help women from remote and underserved communities. With experience in municipal politics and community advocacy, she promotes diversity by encouraging people to fight injustice and challenge stereotypes. Ravina, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Rick. I'm super excited to be here. Delighted to have you here. And just to get started, what we like to do in the Startup Canada podcast is just let's give our listeners a preview of what they're going to hear on this show, just to make, just to, to let them know that uh, it's going to be worth their while. What are the top pieces of advice that or experience that you hope uh, listeners will take away from our conversation? Yeah, I think there's a few key parts there. Aside from the overarching underlying assumption that I usually go with is don't take people's advice depending on um, who they are. Listen carefully where they're coming from and always remember, you know, your audience and your community best. And I think that jumps to three things that I carry with myself is humility, uh, the willingness to listen to other people and understand where they're coming from and incorporate their feedback slowly within my idea or what I'm creating and building. The second part is be passionate about your community, understand them, build 
for community, by community. And since day one at Flick, we've always been about community. And I think that's been one of the key components to why we are where we are today. And the third thing is start early. Whatever you're building and creating, start today, start now. And I think that'll allow you to test out things early on, understand what works, reiterate, and start over if you have to. Let me just drill down there on that last one for a sec. What, what, what do you mean by start early? I, the, I presume the, 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 the counterpoint of starting early is putting it off. Yeah, exactly. I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, especially coming from my background in terms of being a young entrepreneur and starting out in university, I think that's the mindset in which I want listeners to carry is if you are an individual who's on the younger side of the spectrum, know that age, for example, isn't something that should limit you. If you're on that aspect, on that side of the spectrum where you think, oh, I'm not even in university anymore, I'm definitely um, in mid-career, know that there is no limit as to when you can start something. You don't have to be young, alive and fresh to get an idea going. You can have that grit, resilience and momentum to start from now. Beautiful. Love that. Let's uh, back up a little bit and talk about your journey to becoming an entrepreneur and then uh, how, how Flick started with, with, with your co-founder. So tell us a bit about you. When did you know you were an entrepreneur? I still struggle with the term entrepreneur, to be quite frank. Um, I remember my co-founder, Michelle, and I, we around last year, we were asked to do a promotional video and look into the camera and say, I'm an entrepreneur. And I remember we both had difficulties even stating that fact because growing up, entrepreneurs to us were people who often were white males like Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk. And so we didn't exactly have those role models um, who looked similar to us or came from similar backgrounds to us who were in the entrepreneurial space. And if they were there, they weren't being highlighted in traditional media outlets. And so I suppose my entrepreneurial aha moment really was when I was part of a program called Next 36 based in Toronto, where they select the top six, uh, top 36 young entrepreneurs across Canada and put them up in Toronto for a summer um, to learn business development, get taught by exceptional professors and have that opportunity to really build out their ideas into these sustainable businesses. And even when I was in the program, I didn't really feel quite in my comfortable space because both my co-founder Michelle and I had came from very strong STEM backgrounds. And though I was very multidisciplinary throughout my undergrad degree, the one area that I never touched on was business. And I would always think to myself, why do people even go into business? I don't understand the point. I don't know why people pursue that degree. Well, wait a uh, minute, wait a minute. So, so how did you get into a program for the top 36 young entrepreneurs in Canada? And I should mention to listen, we should mention to listeners that, that you and I met each other there because I hang around that program a little bit. Um, uh, how did you get into the program if you weren't even thinking of yourself as an entrepreneur at the time? Yeah, that's a great question. So I like to say Next36 did some great targeted advertising. The day the applications were due, I had a Facebook ad that came up on my phone and it said that I could receive up to $80,000 for my idea. And I was like, I always have ideas. I've always been building and creating initiatives and programs in undergrad. 
and I suppose had that underlying entrepreneurial spirit. I just didn't see myself in that way. And I thought to myself, oh, this is great. Definitely going to apply for this. Um, And so, yeah, I went ahead and I applied for the program, not really understanding, Rick, that it was meant for entrepreneurs. I think in my aspect, I thought, oh, 80 grand for an idea. This is great. Um, And I do have these ideas where I want to create social impact and I want to have a massive impact on a global level. Wow. So how did you fit in with this group of very high achieving entrepreneurs? I don't think I did fit in at first. It was quite daunting. About a month into the program, I still felt a sense that I didn't belong. And we, both my co-founder and I, we weren't there to create a billion dollar company. We were there to create impact and leave a social legacy for our communities around us and to have tangible outcomes that were going to solve global problems that we were seeing in the world. So it sounds like you learned that uh, business actually creates a pretty effective platform for creating this kind of change. Yeah, for sure. Actually, the reason why I ended up even entering the program was I remember Dr. Ajay Agrawal took me aside um, after the interviews and said to me, Ravina, I I see something in you along those lines. You remind me of X, Y, and Z. And you have these ideas that will change the world, that will have great impact and do great things. There's just one thing missing. And he said, it's very important when you do have these ambitious goals that you have a business mindset in order to be able to scale them and have the greatest impact that you can have. And that was really important feedback for me and I did really take that to heart and it was one of the reasons why I did pursue the program and ultimately during those four months that was something that I learned that even though I didn't want to create a billion dollar company I could elevate an idea that I had that had massive impact on a global level by having a mindset of creating a sustainable business. Fantastic. Um, It's a great lesson to learn, and I'm glad you learned it early. So tell us a little bit more about Flick, um, an an, an apprenticeship portal for female founders and companies that are looking for apprentices. Um, Where did this idea come from, and and what's the, the magic of connecting these two marketplaces? Yeah, so Rick, as I mentioned, um, about a month into the program, um, my co-founder and I, essentially Michelle actually had a breakdown in our dorm room on U of T campus because we both just felt that sense of um, not, not belonging, right? And there were a lack of female investors around us, a lack of female founders around us. We were really lacking that female energy. And so Michelle and I decided to use our backgrounds in digital marketing. She had a passion for videography. I had a passion for photography. And we essentially uh, built Flick within 48 hours, a website we incorporated. And we cold emailed all these incredible female founders that we had uh, admired um, who were based in New York and To our surprise, a lot of them said yes to us. So we flew down to New York and no one knew this at the time, actually, during the next 36 program that we were flying to New York and interviewing these women. And we created really cool digital content for them. And while we were interviewing them, 
almost like organic user feedback, but a lot of them discussed with us, no matter where they were in the stage of their company, and these were very successful women, one, they were always looking for ways to scale their business. And second, they really wanted to give back to the next generation of female entrepreneurs. And simultaneously, of course, while we're putting out this media content through Flick online on different mediums, all these young women across Canada and beyond were reaching out to us saying, this content's amazing. I didn't know entrepreneurship existed. I didn't know these women even existed. I didn't know that I could create a company even though I don't have a background in X, Y, and Z. Um, and of course, I would love to meet these women. I'd love to be mentored by these women. And that was an amazing experience to be able to create in creating this community on Flick where female founders and young women could share this passion for entrepreneurship. And after the program was finished at Next36, Michelle and I both headed back to Vancouver where we started to really think critically about how we could bring together these individuals. And that's where the idea of an apprenticeship portal came where female founders and leaders could access wonderful and incredible ambitious female talent while scaling their business and these apprentices, most often post-secondary students, recent grads, or my third demographic, which I love, who are usually people in corporate jobs who hate their life that want to make a career switch, um, could volunteer for 10 hours or less a week, both of them having the autonomy, both founders and apprentices, to decide how many hours a week and what that relationship looks like, um, to give their skills in software development, content creation, and really be exposed to a three-month experience that gave them access to meaningful mentorship, skills training, and experiential learning. And it truly was a win-win on both ends of the spectrum um, in terms of resulting in goals that were hitting those sustainable development goals that Michelle and I wanted to achieve as well. And that sort of the inception of what led to Flick and the result that we ended up with. Wow. So t tell me, where are you now? You you have the the business is up. You have the, 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 the two communities and you have participants on both sides. How many um, apprenticeships have you successfully um, overseen? How many matches have you matched? Yes, Rick, we have matched over 2,000 women from over 53 different countries. Um, we've received over 6,000 applications from all around the world. And it's been amazing to see founders accelerating their product dev line, being able to scale their businesses in tangible ways, especially during COVID-19, where female founders were disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. And on the other hand, young women who had a lot of their summer opportunities and fall co-ops rescinded because of COVID still gaining access to learning opportunities. And it's been an incredible journey so far. Um, apprentices after their apprenticeships have taken place have went on to either start their own company and become a female founder themselves. They have went on to land successful uh, internships at companies such as JP Morgan. Um, and it's just been an incredible experience to see the way in which Flick is helping redefine who can be an entrepreneur, who can participate in the entrepreneurial landscape, and really achieving 
outcomes that are reshaping, one, how young women are getting educated, how women are making career transitions, and how women across the world from diverse backgrounds are accessing economic opportunity. And the way in which we're achieving the goals such as quality education, gender equality, economic growth, and reducing inequalities is, one, we're creating skills development and lifelong opportunities for young women to prepare for the future workforce. Two, we're accelerating entrepreneurial skills and developing a new generation of job creators. Three, we're improving access to education and skills opportunities for women who may be left behind by a rapidly changing global economy. So young women are able to dive into these apprenticeships and realize that their skills are actually transferable in new and emerging industries by volunteering their time in these uh, startups. Four, we're eliminating feelings of isolation and creating virtual opportunities to further enhance education and practical skill advancement. Um, that's been a barrier for women often is even when they're going to these online networking or mentoring events, they don't know where to start. They don't know where to reach out to. They might not be in a space where they have access to female mentors. So we are really creating that safe space where when people come to our platform, they know what they're getting. Um, five, we are cultivating a meaningful online community that's resulting in tangible and quantifiable results, which is something very important to us. And six, we're providing potential employment opportunities where apprentices have that opportunity after the three months to see, is this a startup or a company that I want to work for? And vice versa for the founder. It gives them a three-month period to see, is this person a fit for my company and what I want to build? Um, and they can offer after the three months an opportunity for that apprentice to come on full-time or part-time. I was going to ask you about that because when we were you were talking about some of the outcomes, you didn't actually mention people staying on and the apprentices staying on and working for the 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 the, the companies that they had apprenticed for. So does that happen pretty often? I imagine it would. Yeah, no, we've had incredible stories. I was just on a call with an apprentice about three weeks ago, and she was telling me that. I, as a business student, never thought I could work in the mental health industry. And she said the role in which I'm doing right now is so meaningful to me. And the fact that my founder decided to offer me a part-time employment afterwards was something life-changing for me because I never thought I would, one, be in this role, two, have this opportunity, three, have employment in this period of time. I love that that was a part-time opportunity because we sometimes forget that that's an option. Uh, an entrepreneur that takes a job, you know, may not be in a position to have the bandwidth of time to uh, to to start a business, to work on the business they were thinking of doing, um, or any other business that occurs to them. But as a part-time employee, you still have lots of time to do the entrepreneurial thing. Plus, you also ha you can also pay the rent. So I think that's that's the perfect solution. Yeah, and Rick, we are a platform that's not here to um, provide monetary support in that moment, but rather allow you to gain the necessary skills so that you are set up to enter the workforce. So I think I understand how your model works and the, uh, the, the, the apprentices don't pay for the apprenticeship, but the companies do. So tell me how you built up a community of paying organizations and, you know, have you, have you achieved your financial targets? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So we were in free beta for a decent amount of time, especially because COVID had just hit. And Michelle and I were very aware that when these types of things happen, women are usually deeply impacted on a disproportionate level. And so we made our platform free and accessible. um, And we were one of the top resources for female founders during and continuously during this pandemic. Um, And during that time, we were able to get a lot of feedback. Our community was so incredible that Every day they were willing to send us product feedback or feedback on their experience so far. And we were able to get on easy and quick phone calls with them to get feedback on the pricing model, to figure out that willingness to pay, to understand our different demographics in terms of where were these female founders coming from and what did their economic situation look like. I think that was something unique about even my background was understanding we were a global platform. We were going to have female founders coming from Nigeria, from India, from Madagascar, um, and understanding where they had a need, how we could fulfill that and what the value was that we were giving them. And so through a lot of feedback, as you can imagine, um, we were able to come up with an introductory membership pricing that would allow our platform to be sustainable for us to grow and really to help us invest in the sustainability and building and maintaining of our community and platform, allowing us to further meet our diversity, inclusion and equity goals to ensure that our technology would reach women globally, including rural and remote communities. And I think a big thing for us, Rick, was because our community was so dedicated towards our mission and the fact that we are a mission-driven company speaks lengths. And I think that added on an extra layer in terms of people understanding where their money was going to go towards, where these membership fees were going towards, and how it was going to help elevate other female founders globally and allow our platform to develop into a product that was accessible to women everywhere. Fantastic. Um, Is it safe to say that when you started, you were sort of targeting Canadian, U.S. entrepreneurs? Yeah, no, for sure. So we initially, I think that's something you're definitely taught in a way through these entrepreneurial programs is focus on a very niche market, start small, test it out, run it in beta. And so Michelle and I, when we were starting out, of course, we launched based out of Vancouver at that point with the apprenticeship portal. So we said to ourselves, okay, this is exciting. If we get like 40 signups, we'll be super hype and we'll just focus on Canada for now so we can understand our bandwidth and, um, you know, adapt as we have to um, if any changes come about based off the feedback we were getting. Um, And so I remember we launched and Rick, within a week or two, we were getting applications from obviously beyond Canada. Young women were hearing about us at UC Berkeley, at Duke University, and of course, UBC, McGill, U of C. Um, And then it quickly just spread to Oxford, NYU, Abu Dhabi. Um, And the mere fact was we were launching at the same time that COVID is happening, right? Right. And 
it was our duty and responsibility, of course, to acknowledge what was happening to our community. As I mentioned earlier, summer opportunities were being rescinded and female founders were finding themselves stuck in a situation that wasn't that great. And so we knew virtual apprenticeships can still take place and this is something we can adapt to. So we mobilized um, our team together. We even got a, a campaign running to help the female founders in our community who are actually creating companies and solving problems related to COVID-19 um, to match med tech founders with uh, med sci apprentices at that time as well. So it was quite a journey in that first beginning. But yeah, we were very Canadian focused. And I think that emergence of virtual apprenticeships combined with the pandemic situation coming about, I mean, the real question in the end was why not? Right. Was your initial plan that, that the apprenticeships would be virtual or did you think they most of them would be, you know, in person, old school? I think it was a mix. We understood that some people would, of course, be in person and that founders would like to take someone within their geographical region who could potentially come into an office, etc. But long term, I definitely had that vision of providing opportunity to young women who are in other countries that potentially wanted to get mentorship from a woman who is based in North America, for example. Or I remember we had a student, um, she actually attends UBC, but because of COVID was sent back home to Vietnam, but she's of South Asian descent. Um, and she decided to uh, take on an apprenticeship with a South Asian who's originally from India, who's based in New York now, um, <laughs> who works at Google. And I thought that was an amazing experience because she came back to me, the apprentice, and said, Ravina, I can't thank you enough. I would have never in my life came across this opportunity this early on in my career to connect with someone who's working at Google to gain mentorship and experience under her. I didn't even know that a South Asian could do that. And I think wow. that was super impactful that regardless of where you are in the world, you're able to access this opportunity to meet someone that you resonate with, an industry that you're passionate about, and gain something meaningful, develop a relationship that's going to last beyond just the three months. Do you ever see yourself going into in-person apprenticeships again, or do you think virtual ones work perfectly well? The feedback's been great on the virtual side. Uh, people have really enjoyed it. They've enjoyed the flexibility. I think to some degree when things somewhat get back to normal. I don't know when that would be. I'm sure there's some individuals, if they do land an apprenticeship within their city, who would love to meet up with their female founder or leader, work within their space. But it has been amazing to see how many people are willing to take on an apprentice or, or be part of um, a founder's company wherever they are. I think sometimes the the little trick is the time zone that they end up working out. But asides from that, um, I think that's sort of um, silver lining there that's demonstrated that you can still be learning online, you can still be gaining something valuable and gaining access to opportunity even in a time like this. So has COVID actually been good for you? It's, it sure sounds like it. I think it, I'm not going to say it's like this amazing, like I really, it's really unfortunate the ramifications and consequences that COVID has had. But I think on the other side of it, 
what happened was it accelerated the growth that we needed in certain areas um, in relationship to virtual and leveraging technology to help enhance the way in which we were communicating or the efficiency that was being brought about by it. Um, but I, yeah, I guess you could say in terms of Flick, it was helping women and solving their problem that was even heightened to a new level. Um, but it turned you into an international platform almost immediately. Yes, this is very true. So I guess you could say that's a positive. I'm not going to say that COVID was a positive, but um, it did help us accelerate our growth in a faster way than we anticipated. Ravina, what can you tell me about the the founders and their companies that are uh, hosting these apprenticeships? Who, who are these companies? Where do they come from? Yeah, Rick, these are amazing companies. So a lot of them, of course, are tech-enabled Um Many of them are also venture-backed. They've went through accelerators such as Y Combinator. And many of them do have a social impact-focused company. So they are mission-driven, even if they're creating technology, hardware, SaaS, whatever it might be. Um, there is a social impact component of their company. Um, there's also growing agencies on the company, a few people um, who have interest in venture capital and angel investing firms. So it's very diverse um, in terms of who's coming to the platform. They come from various backgrounds. There's people creating sustainable food companies. There's individuals who are tackling um, issues when it comes to diversity and inclusion. So there's definitely a range there. And there's women who have studied very different things that don't relate to what they're building in their company now. And I think it just shows um, to young women who are coming to the platform and apprenticing under these founders that you don't have to take a traditional path to building a company. You don't have to have a traditional background in business, whether that's an MBA or a commerce degree. And I think that's been something very special that's been demonstrated through our platform. I'm so impressed by the, the success of the Flick platform and uh, your six points earlier where you talked about all the gaps that you're filling in terms of helping people with education and experience and helping the, 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 the young companies uh, with talent acquisition to get some jobs done that might otherwise be, on, be beyond their resources uh, in the early stages. So. Tell me why you think this gap exists, because we all know that getting started in your career can be very tough. If you're, you know, if, if you have high ambitions and you want to get into um, a, a high value career, getting started is so hard. And yet you've come up with a shortcut that that gets people the experience and the contacts and the perspective that are so important. And it sounds like it's taking off. So why do you think we haven't been able to solve this problem before? Oh, Rick, that is a loaded question, to be quite frank. There's a lot of components there to break down. I'll give a bit more of an overview there. But I think I alluded this to this before, but even something as small as putting a group of young women who are in undergrad and saying, go to this networking event and maybe you'll find an opportunity. That whole experience right there can be quite anxiety provoking, daunting. Do you speak from experience? Yeah, I, I, you know what, for me, I was a different type of kid where 
I think this applies to both Michelle and I, and something we recognize about ourselves. The worst thing that could happen to me is someone said no to me. Or if I did look into a room, I would think to myself, there's a problem. There is no South Asian woman. So I am going to go and do X, Y, and Z. So no one ever feels the sense of loneliness that I did. Um, So I definitely took the action and it gave me more momentum to go and do something about it. But there is a subset of individuals. And I think it's completely okay that to some degree this exists, who maybe get caught up in that moment, that sense of loneliness, and they don't take the action to solve that problem, which is okay. I think you know, that's natural human instincts at time where you walk into a room, you don't see someone that looks like you and you might not feel that confidence or encouragement to ensure that doesn't happen to someone else. Um, You know, that happens to everyone, I'm sure, to some degree in some capacity. But um, recognizing that a majority of women were facing that situation and there wasn't any tangible outcomes being created to solve that problem was something that we recognized. So we created something that one, you know, we could have easily had an undergrad that we would have probably loved and used every single day. Um, and two, something for our friends. I mean, I was able to see that how these types of situations were affecting my friends because they would come and talk to me and say, hey, I'm going to this event. I'm super nervous. I don't know what to ask this person. Oh, I wish I had a female role model in this industry. I just don't know where to start. Um, And it was always like, oh, Ravina, you know where to start. You know where the opportunities are. And I was like, no, I'm just like a super nerd where I like to (laughs) Google all these types of things that are happening. Um, I have no problem cold emailing people because as I mentioned, the worst thing that could happen to me was I got a no. And for some reason, I was never really affected by it. I would just keep pushing through. Um, But that was a, a safe space that we wanted to create for women where they didn't have to go into a networking situation, have anxiety. They don't even know where to start in the first place. Um, And I think another important thing, Rick, is this whole idea of mentorship and asking people for a 15-minute coffee chat. uh, I'm not the biggest fan of, to be quite frank with you. I think that that's sort of a play that's ended up draining a lot of people's energy on both sides, the mentee and the mentor. Um, I think it depends what value you're bringing to the table. But in that moment, a lot of people ask the same questions. And sometimes those questions don't get to a tangible outcome, something that results in real change or that's adding to either your career or as a founder, adding to your business. And we were able to sort of cultivate an experience on Flick where it was a win-win for both individuals, where, for example, a founder is taking an apprentice who's part of the Gen Z generation and can learn about things like TikTok, Clubhouse, understanding how to market to a new demographic. Meanwhile, someone who's a Gen Z is learning aspects about how to build a financial model or how to execute calls related to um building inclusive practices, for example. So I think really we were able to create a mentorship experience that isn't your traditional, oh, I need a 15-minute chat. Let's talk once a year or talk once in a lifetime and then that's it. Right, right. You're right. I've had lots of those coffee meetings with with entrepreneurs and um, A, you 
you cover way too much stuff more than anyone can ever sort of follow up on or even digest. And then, mm-hmm. there, and, and there's, and there's no continuation and, and, and uh, you know, the, the, there's no follow up. It just sort of gets lost and left behind. So uh, you're right. This is a win-win platform and it's very exciting. You mentioned that 6,000 people have applied and you've, uh, I guess, put 2,000 into apprenticeships. So what makes a good apprentice? What if, if someone who's listening to this thinks, Hey, I'd like to, try their apprentice program, uh, what kind of people make the best apprentices? Yeah, I should say that um, the 6,000 applications, like we don't approve everyone onto the platform. So there, there is a verification criteria to go through both on the founder and the apprentice end of things. Um, and I should hope so. Yeah, no, for sure. Because we do want to maintain one, that quality and two, that intention. We will want people who are coming to the platform who have that ambition to either create change, who are willing to learn, and founders who are there to inspire and cultivate a apprenticeship experience that is meaningful to um, a mentee. So yeah, it's been very um, diverse in that aspect of bringing together apprentices who come from multiple backgrounds and in terms of what makes a great apprentice, um, you know, things like valuing your founder's time, coming prepared, um, absorbing everything that you can from your founder, creating opportunities for your founder. So, you know, having that spontaneous wit to think on your feet and say, hey, have you considered this? Um, And I think that's a great thing in terms of allowing young women to be mentored by another woman that potentially allows them to feel comfortable enough to come up with ideas, to come up with questions that maybe otherwise they might not feel so inclined to do so. I know, Rick, actually, this is something I've struggled with and I'm trying to get over it, but often I noticed I'm very receptive to tone. So um, I did find that when I was surrounded by my male counterparts, there was something about tone that made me not want to ask questions. I somehow got scared in myself. I don't know what it exactly was. Um, But I realized that with Flick, we were able to create this comfortable environment where women could start building that confidence. And I'm not saying they didn't have it to begin with, but they're able to elevate it in an environment that is validating their ideas. That's not mansplaining them. Um, And going off to continue off your question, um, uh, practicing good things like showing up on time, being specific about what you need that can help your founder figure out what they can help with and how they can contribute. Um, And, you know, at times maybe finding multiple founders that align with different passions that you have so you can explore different avenues. So we allow apprentices to take on two apprenticeships simultaneously. Um, We do encourage them to evaluate their bandwidth and the time commitment that they have. But often a big trend that I've been seeing with young women speaking to me, especially in the past year, is Ravina, I have two to three passions. I don't know where to start. I feel like I'm in this program. And while I do love my degree, I also love graphic design. So I have been taking the time to speak to these individuals on ways in which they can really reflect on where they're finding meaning and purpose. 
and how they need to expand their thought in terms of interdisciplinary thinking, thinking and bringing together those passions into one thing. That's just so positive. I, I, I love everything about what you just said, and especially that idea of appealing to the whole person and giving them a chance to try out all those things. Because, yeah, no one's very few people are really sure of what they want to do. And the ones who are sure are probably wrong. So it's important to have that experience. Um, you've mentioned, you know, apprentices who have a background in tech or possibly finance um, or, the, or the sciences. What about the arts majors and the English grads? Is there a room for them in your program? Oh, of course, Rick. So we allow people to join from any discipline. We have tons of people in humanities, um, as well as STEM, of course. So it's very open to individuals coming from various backgrounds. Can and you tell me a success story from a humanities major? Yes. Because we tend to denigrate those, the, 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 those disciplines now. Oh, so, no, that makes me sad because I loved sociology in undergrad. <laughs> um, but yeah, Rick, that's something we're also trying to break down in terms of, yes, we have apprentices who are coming to the platform from an arts background who think to themselves, hey, I actually want to get involved with technology, but I obviously don't have a technical background. And that's where young women have been able to discover um things such as product management. And while high level, eventually there is a technical component to that, they're able to understand the mindset, the way of thinking. And I think my favorite thing, this is sorry, one of my favorite stories now, um, is we had a young woman, her bachelor's degree was in Asian American studies, but her desired career path was in UX. So user experience design. And she assumed that it could only be an individual with a technical background. And she felt very constrained coming from her background that was, of course, more humanities focused. But she decided to come onto the platform. And while the only people that she knew in UX um, were peers from an on-campus organization, um, and she, it's funny, I remember she said that she was encouraged to fake it till she made it by hiding um, parts of her identity. And other people told her that she wasn't even cut out for UX. Um, wow. And that really gave her one like imposter syndrome, it lowered her confidence. But this was the best thing, you know, lockdown happened, unfortunately, actually, but the positive was that she came, she joined Flick. She received a request from Priyanka, who is a founder of Kofi Beauty. And when she came onto the team, she was under the impression she'd be working on social media graphics. But Priyanka had actually brought her on because of her degree in South Asian studies in humanities and her intersection for UX. And that is something so inspiring in that she was able to leverage both of her backgrounds and start to understand the fundamentals of UX. And eventually, you know, that also went into UX and UI design where she was prompted to um, redesign the onboarding and shopping experiences of a skincare company down the line that really helped her understand that Going in and studying South Asian studies, for example, doesn't mean you have to pursue a career in that. But she can take her love for design, 
for South Asian women and cultivate that and work for a startup that is creating beauty products for South Asians and then move on and actually work for another company that's working specifically on skincare. And I think that's super cool to showcase that regardless of your background, you can pursue different things. And I'm really excited to say that because of her experience on Flick, um, she, this is her own words, but um, that Flick allowed her to land and get accepted into Microsoft's Leap Apprenticeship program for UX design. Wow. What a great story. Thank you for sharing that. And and it's so important. I, my own theory is that a person's value is related to um, how much they can optimize for not just a, a job opportunity or a business opportunity, optimize not just the skills they have and the experience they have, but the but the interests they have. So yes, if you can bring two or three different aspects of your life together in one place, then you're in a position to excel and you can grow from there. But, uh, but, but you'll, 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 you'll make your biggest uh, impact and hopefully hit your highest value when you find that, you, that you, it's not, you're not just a commodity uh, graduate coming from humanities or tech or whatever, but bringing your full step, full self to a job uh, is, is, or any challenge is where you get the real impact. Definitely. Yeah. So what's the future of Flick? You've built these, these communities. You must be having lots of ideas about how you can grow these communities and also grow the impact of the people within these communities on each other. Wow. Yeah. The, you know, it's been such a special thing to be able to create something um, that's celebrating women, diverse women, and people coming from very, very different backgrounds. And I think for us, our mission really rooted in that idea to advance women's economic participation and to increase women-led ventures globally, we want to be that most comprehensive resource for female founders globally, meaning we're developing the female founder pipeline from the moment someone is an apprentice to the day they come back and they join as a female founder. And we're there with them for their journey. Um, I think while we are directly impacting women's access to opportunity education and employment opportunities, the fact that women have been inspired to start their own businesses after completing an apprenticeship, have been hired by a female founder or leader they apprenticed under, and are learning skills training in a real-world setting beyond the borders of a classroom, and gaining access to networks otherwise difficult to reach, and feeling encouraged and listened to in a setting that's safe to learn and pursue with their diverse backgrounds is something absolutely so special that I can't even put it into words. And I hope that with Flick, we're able to continuously actively learn from our community and keep building a technology and community platform that resonates with people from very diverse backgrounds who are located in different geographical regions and who do in fact have different needs than women in other spaces. And I think that's something very important to recognize. I think it's something that allows us to in achieve inclusion is by recognizing and celebrating our differences and creating a technology platform 
that understands that our members are different from each other, yet they still have shared values with individuals who might be on different parts of the country or on the other side of the world in a different country. Um, And so I hope that we're able to continue to foster meaningful community um, that's rooted in our values of courage, compassion, humility, freedom, and curiosity, and wake up every day and see that real impact that our technology is having um, on these wonderful and incredible women. But you didn't really tell me what any of your future plans might be. Was that deliberate? Uh, <laughs> well, no, really, Rick, I think the overarching thing is we want to be the uh, the most comprehensive resource for women-led ventures globally. Um, and eventually, it would be great to build out a venture arm to invest in underrepresented and underestimated founders um, and continue building that tailored community, that specific tower um diverse community and resources for women that um, need to help them successfully um, enter that world of entrepreneurship. So while we aim to be the most comprehensive female founder resource globally, I hope that we're able to financially invest in that young talent from a very early age um, when they're leaving their apprenticeship, starting out as a founder, or if you're joining us as a founder. Right. I think the next 36, the program where you met Michelle Kwok, your, your co-founder at Flick, I think next, next 36 has sort of two goals. One is to create, um, you know, really dynamic, um, capable uh, entre- entrepreneurs who think big and also to have a big impact that, that can be boasted about. Like, um, you know, they got a hundred million dollar evaluation from this company or they, they they raised 10 million dollars from this investor that sort of thing um do you think you're going to meet those sort of high it, it sounds to me like you're doing the, the 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 social thing which is also a goal of next 36 you're you're making social impact do you think you'll have the financial impact that uh, a program like that will boast about in future Um, I mean, I'd hope so. I think by building Flick, we are redefining what it is to pursue entrepreneurship, who can pursue entrepreneurship, and what success looks like in the entrepreneurial world. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, And I hope that we are a venture that people are proud of, that when they look back at their alumni, um, they think to themselves that, This was a company that was able to have tremendous impact, that was able to create a sustainable business model, that was able to reach thousands of women globally, and able to have a direct impact on not just GDP, but on the impact of so many young women who want to start companies themselves. Um, So, I mean... I can't exactly answer that, but I mean, I would hope so that in the future that that is something that um, alumni programs are proud of our success and what we've been able to create. I'm sure they're immensely proud now, but as you know, you know, the VCs and a whole lot of the startup culture is about putting those numbers up on the board. So hopefully you'll prove that you can do that as well as have the impact, but 
the most important thing to me is the impact. So congratulations on that. Is there anything else that the uh, Canadian entrepreneurship community can do to help Flick? How can our listeners support your platform and the, the and and the the opportunities you're creating for 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 young women founders? Yeah. Um... I mean, if you're listening to this, of course, um, it would be amazing to have if you know any female founders or female leaders that would be interested in the platform. If you know a young woman or someone looking to have a career transition, let them know that they can become an apprentice, whether it's your daughter, niece, uh, whoever it might be, uh, women identifying, that would be a help in itself. I think um, a lot of people don't even know about the platform just yet and it takes a lot in terms of just knowing that there's something out there is very important for women to understand I was on a call yesterday and a girl said to me um if I didn't hear about this from my friend I wouldn't have known about you and I definitely would have felt very lonely on this journey throughout my undergrad um especially for a lot of those first years starting right now but yeah, I think that would be a huge help if you know any female-oriented networks um, that are interested in starting a business um, that are aimed at that. That would be really helpful. Um, and I really hope that the audience takes away from this as well is it's long overdue uh, in terms of changing our perception of who can be an entrepreneur, what an entrepreneur looks like, and what a an entrepreneur can work towards solving and that us as young people and the individuals that you're around are a catalyst to the change. Um, we're redefining the traditional norms of what business and entrepreneurship look like and the meaning behind it and how it can be executed. And so I hope today, if you're listening, that you encourage at least one person in your life, either today or this week, to pursue the idea of entrepreneurship, to build ideas, to solve very big global problems. Um, and I hope that by helping to accelerate women-led ventures globally and leveraging technology to solve a global problem like gender equality, that this inspires young people, especially young women from underrepresented backgrounds, to pursue tech, business, and entrepreneurship rooted in social impact. Um, and it's important for all women to have representation in th these areas and this is the moment to ensure that we all have role models in spaces that have often been male-dominated. So if you are male-identifying listening to this podcast as well, I encourage you to reach out to your female colleagues and ask them how you can help them today if there's any introductions that they need. If you see someone simply coming up on your LinkedIn who is a woman who's diving into entrepreneurship and hasn't asked, if you can connect them with your network and see how you can help. Um, providing women the space, resources, and courage to take somewhat an unconventional path at times is vital to advancing their economic participation. And I hope that just by listening to this podcast that you take that grain with you and you continue to see that in the people that are around you and lend a helping hand. And Rick, I know you alluded to this just earlier in the previous question, but um, yes, numbers are important. And I think that's where creativity comes about um, in terms of it's time that while we've seen the traditional path of, okay, this growth will get you here. I think it's also important to think about with these global challenges that we're solving, 
there is a financial aspect to it. And it doesn't mean that social impact and financial capitalism have to be these separate ideas. It just takes someone who has a multidisciplinary aspect and who has the willingness to be creative and create a business model that is leaving social legacy, but is also bringing those numbers to the table to show investors, to show accelerator programs that this is also entrepreneurship. Wow. One of the first things you said at the top of the show was you you encouraged entrepreneurs to be passionate about their community. I, I think you're pretty passionate about this community. And I love that you are such an articulate and, and passionate uh, defender of women and entrepreneurs and a proponent of them and creating these opportunities for them. So it's just terrific. As we head out today, we generally ask a last question, which is... Um, do you have one final piece of advice? And I know your first piece of advice was not to listen to advice, but we all know that <laughs> advice is it, it, it is at least useful input, if not necessarily to be followed exactly. So do you have one more uh, piece of advice for our listeners based on your experiences with Michelle at Flick? Hmm. One final piece of advice that's actionable I really think, I, I know I mentioned this before, but community is one of the most important things when you are building a company and when you are solving a pain point in someone's life. Take that moment, build a relationship with your community. It is going to be one of the most valuable things moving forward in this decade, especially with what we're going through right now. People are looking for community. Um, they want to be a part of it. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And you as an entrepreneur, one of the most important things you'll do is being able to connect with them. And that, in terms of the entrepreneurial language, will increase your lifetime value of your customer if that is your community. So that's something from day one. I said that at the beginning of the podcast. It's been day one with Flick community first and then look at how you can be solving their problem whether it's with technology or whatever idea you might have community is very important Ravina, you and michelle have done so much in a year i can't wait to see uh, where you are two three four five years down the road i think you're in a position to make real impact not just in the canadian ecosystem but around the world so thank you for all you're doing Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Ravina. We've been talking to Ravina Anand, co-founder and COO of Flick. You can find them at weareflick.com. And Flick is spelled F-L-I-K.com. And we will check in with, with, with Ravina and Flick again. For more information on Startup Canada's Startup Women programming or to get involved, go to www.startupcanada.ca slash women. Thank you for joining us this week in the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. Stay tuned another minute to hear the latest startup community news and the upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag startup chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern time. I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence.